for listening to the only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. Hi, this is Steve Fister, NCPA Senior Vice President for Government Affairs, and you are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Good afternoon, Pharmacy Podcast listeners. This is Ron Lanson, Government Affairs Strategist for the Pharmacy Podcast Show and President of True North Political Solutions. And today we got a great guest for you. We have on the line Steve Fister from NCPA. How are you, Steve? I'm doing fine, Ron. Good to uh, hear from you. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad you were able to come on the show today, and uh, we've got some important things to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and jump right in and ask our first questions. Uh, For those listeners that don't know NCPA, uh, can you provide them with some background into what NCPA is and actually how it advocates for pharmacy? Sure, Ron. Uh, NCPA is a professional development and advocacy organization that serves the interests of the nearly 23,000 independent community pharmacies across the country. Our membership is comprised of pharmacy owners, staff pharmacists, pharmacy students, and corporations with strong business ties to our segment of the marketplace. We've been around for well over a century. In fact, it's 116 years this year. For those who don't know, uh, NCPA's predecessor, the National Association of Retail Druggists, was started in 1898 when community pharmacists were protesting attacks on prescriptions that was being used to fund the Spanish-American War. But with each passing year, the benefits we provide our members increases to ensure they remain competitive and that we rise to the challenges from government-related issues at both the federal and state levels to have pharmacy-friendly policies that don't endanger patient access to prescription drug services. You know, that's a nice piece of history. As long as I've been around NCPA and and interacting with it, um, I didn't know that. So uh, I think that's a real nice piece of history for our listeners to enjoy, too. Well, thanks, Ron. You know, they say that you learn something new every day, and I'm pleased that I was able to inform you that uh, it was all because of Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders. Wow, that's interesting. Well, let's get right into your background, Steve. How did you become involved in government affairs and what actually led you to pharmacy? Well, Ron, um, I actually started out on Capitol Hill. Uh, I was a political science major in college. I attended the State University of New York. I had the good fortune of uh, being able to come down while I was in school and do a couple of congressional internships. And uh, as they often say, I guess I caught Potomac fever I clearly wanted to start my career on Capitol Hill. Uh, When I graduated from college, I had an entry-level position on the Hill that eventually led me to working uh, on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives as a floor assistant uh, for the Republican Party. I was on the floor for about six years, and I then had an opportunity to uh, join the National Retail Federation, uh, where I actually served for 24 years, including the last 12 as a senior vice president for government relations. I left NRF. I took a hand in consulting. I actually got out of politics for a while. Uh, I was doing some business development consulting. But after having been a trade association executive for as long as I had been, I was kind of getting the itch to get back into the business. Uh, at the time, uh, I was contacted Uh, informing me that NCPA was looking for a head of their government affairs department. 
Um, I really uh, right up front admitted that I hadn't worked in pharmacy. I didn't know a lot about pharmacy. I, I had some involvement with uh, healthcare reform in my previous stint at NRF, both during the Clinton administration and then uh, before I left with the Affordable Care Act. But um, I think that the background and the skill sets I had uh, obviously were what NCPA was looking for, and I was very pleased to join the NCPA team and find myself now working in pharmacy. Well, that's great, and I'm glad that uh, you're on board, and I know that some of our listeners have at least been familiar with your name and um, you know, just seeing some of the positive things that NCPA has done with this advocacy over the last several months uh, has been a great step forward. So thank you. Well, I, I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, now that we know a little bit about, about your background, what are some of the things that you've done to help uh, the pharmacy community specifically? Well, you know, I think when I came to this position, uh, well, I didn't have the in-depth background in pharmacy-specific issues. I obviously had been involved in some major legislative issue campaigns while I was with the National Retail Federation. I had run a fairly large staff. I had been involved in the political operation, uh, grassroots operation, had been involved on some major issues with respect to crisis management. So I think I brought those skill sets to the table. Uh, What I really uh, have worked to do in the time that I've been at NCPA to date is really working to continue to advance our our visibility on Capitol Hill, working to, uh, you know, enhance our political presence on Capitol Hill, um, strengthening existing relationships I have, developing new relationships, not only with key members of Congress and staff, but also with a variety of agencies, probably chief among them CMS, um, and and really try to bring a a new strategic and tactical approach and vision to the NCPA to ensure that community pharmacy is speaking with a coordinated and unified voice on a host of issues. Absolutely, I understand that. Well, in your opinion, because I think that you, uh, with the position that you hold within CPA, um, it's very unique to, to find the hot trends and things that are happening and affecting the pharmacy community. What are some of the biggest challenges that you uh, see actually facing pharmacy today? And I guess this is more of a two-part question. I guess part two would be, um, do you think that these challenges will be best solved by state or federal advocacy? Well, that's a really good question. I I think the bottom line is that um, community pharmacy is facing a lot of competitive challenges. You know, when I was with the National Retail Federation, we had a lot of involvement with NACDS. In fact, several of their CEOs had served on our board. And I know back in the day, uh, you know, you had the major, obviously, um, pharmacy drugstore companies, you know, the Walgreens, the CDSs, et cetera. But I think what you've seen in terms of the competitive challenges now for community pharmacy is just the proliferation of big box retailers, grocery operations. It seems that that uh, everywhere you turn, uh, there now is a pharmacy counter that's that's, uh, presenting competitive challenges for independent community pharmacy. I think secondly, there's just stifling regulatory burdens. at at both the state and federal levels, but particularly at the federal level. 
when we're dealing with CMS, when we're dealing with the FDA, when we're dealing with DEA. Uh, and there's also the changing landscape for community pharmacy. When you look at uh, how the business models of PBMs have changed, uh, how we're dealing with the prescription drug plans. So, so that's really the answer to the first part of the question. I, I think that with respect to where this is better focused at the federal or the state level, I'd have to say both. As you know, oftentimes state legislatures are the incubators for legislative initiatives that find themselves coming to Washington. But then, of course, we have to keep our eye on the ball on Capitol Hill. So, so it's it's really both. And within the NCPA government affairs structure, we not only have a robust federal government affairs team, but we also have a robust state affairs team. We work closely in partnership with state pharmacy associations and other stakeholders. So um, it, it, it's really both. And you can't you can't take your eye off one ball and focus on the other exclusively. You really have to look at them in tandem. Couldn't agree more on that. Well, another question that kind of dovetails into what I just asked and maybe just expand on this a little bit is, what do you think or, or foresee as being pharmacy's biggest shortcoming? And looking at that, what is the possible solution to that shortcoming? You know, um, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I don't want to think that there are shortcomings because I will tell you, when I took this position, it became very clear to me that community pharmacists wear a white hat. Uh, they are respected across the board. They have good relationships with and are respected with members of Congress and members of state legislatures, uh, literally on both sides of the aisle and both sides of the Capitol or the state capitals. Probably the biggest shortcoming is, as I mentioned in the previous question with respect to competitive challenges, the, the need to adapt to the changing landscape, the, the need to sharpen their focus on ways to ma not only maintain but grow their businesses. And, and I think chief among those probably uh, for people who have been in business for quite some time is looking at ways that they can diversify their revenue streams, ways that they can continue to serve their patients as they have for many years, but also look for new and creative approaches to help uh, really grow their bottom line. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting point just to kind of follow up on what you said, because, um, you know, and I'm not going to say this is in every neighborhood or anything like that, but, you know, there there is a little bit of apathy sometimes in the community. And, you know, just mentioning all the, the, the challenges that are facing pharmacy. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I know it's not just pharmacy that's facing challenges. You know, every healthcare profession is, is facing a challenge to some degree. Um, I guess my question is the importance of a pharmacist as an advocate. Uh, what do you think about that? Maybe to kind of combat that the apathy that's out there. Well, I mean, there, you know, I would say there's apathy across the board, and, and we've had several conversations recently internally about this, because people look at their government, particularly their government in Washington, and feel nothing is getting done. Nobody's doing anything. Everything is focused 
on the next election, maintaining power and control. So I, I think that, that that apathy is out there. And, and, you know, we also have to look at the fact that for our members, uh, the men and women that are running community pharmacies across the country, you know, they're focused, number one, on getting up every day, opening the store and, and doing business. So, you know, that coupled with the fact that, oh, those guys in Washington aren't getting anything done, I think, you know, enhances perhaps the, uh, the, the, the apathetic feelings people are having. Having said that, as I said to you earlier, and one of the things that I first recognized when I joined NCPA was my comment regarding the fact that community pharmacists wear a white hat and they know and are listened to by their members of Congress and their state legislators. And, and it, it's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It's, a, it's not an independent thing. It's a community pharmacy thing. They are on Main Street. They are serving patients. They are obviously on the front lines of health delivery. And to your point, be, by virtue of those relationships, they have a real advantage in terms of carrying the message as to how legislation, regulation, other things are burdening their business and impacting their ability to, to be viable and serve those patients. So while there's the apathetic side of the equation, there's also, we feel, a very unique opportunity Unlike many in you know, Fortune 500 companies and these very large companies that have a huge economic presence but, and they're in communities, but they're not mom and pop who's on Main Street that can give that pharmacy tour and really get the ear of that member. And I think that's one of the things that we recognize and one of the things that we're going to continue to try to uh, drive home to our membership every time we get the opportunity, including when we're at our convention, and let them know that that their voice really does make a difference. As I said early on, we're working to ensure that there's a, a coordinated and unified voice and messaging moving forward, and there's nobody, nobody better to take it to policymakers than those men and women that are on those main streets in those communities. Absolutely. And, and uh, before we get to our next question, just another point you brought up, too, that I almost forgot to, to mention, the, the, the actual diversification of a pharmacy. And I think that that's an excellent idea. <clears throat> I think a lot of pharmacists are thinking that that's an excellent idea too, not only because of, of the challenges that they have to maneuver and finesse around, but the fact that healthcare is changing and consumers are changing. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, I think that with the change, at least personally, I'd love to, to, to get your feedback, but you know, the consumer's changing and they're relying more on a pharmacist services. Well, they, they absolutely are. And, uh, I mean, you know, these these pharmacists are trusted. And as we've heard anecdotally in many, many instances, uh, when people are having medical difficulties and, you know, they're trying to get a hold of their, their physician who's out of pocket or, you know, on the golf course, with all due respect, um, they can go to their community pharmacist. They can tell them what the symptoms are. Then they can, uh, you know, immediately analyze whether maybe they're having a an adverse reaction to medication they're taking or whatever else the case may be. So I think that there are real opportunities moving forward. And, you know, when we get into the legislative discussion a little bit and we talk about uh, the provider status issue, I, I think that there is a growing role for pharmacists 
as the population ages, as things change, to uh, build on the great trust uh, and relationship that they already have with their existing patients. Exactly. Well, you know, um, you mentioned legislation. I want to jump right to that because, you know, I love talking about legislation. I know you love talking about legislation. Um, if you can talk to our listeners about some of the legislation that NCPA has actually worked on, um, I know that I've heard a lot about H.R. 4577, but maybe some of our listeners haven't. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about the bill and, and why it's actually important to the average pharmacist. Uh, absolutely, Ron. Um, and I realize we only have a limited amount of time, so I won't do a lengthy retrospective, but this really came about, uh, as you're aware, at the beginning of the year when CMS came out with their proposed rule, um, which had a number of provisions in it. And one of the provisions in it was any willing pharmacy. They felt that in terms of Medicare Part D preferred networks, that really any willing pharmacy that meets the terms and conditions ought to have the opportunity to at least attempt to uh, enter into the preferred networks, uh, compete, and serve their patients. Um, the rule uh, was really very controversial. It had a number of provisions, including protected classes of drugs, non-interference, plan consolidation, that really brought virtually everybody and their brother out against the rule. And unfortunately, perhaps the least controversial provision of the controversial provisions was the any willing pharmacy piece. Um, following uh, following the, the fin final, you know, when the rule fell apart, uh, we talked to members of Congress and we started on the House side. And uh, Congressman Morgan Griffith, uh, Democrat of Virginia, and Congressman Peter Welch, uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, Morgan Griffith, Republican of Virginia, Congressman Peter Welch, Democrat of Vermont, uh, felt very strongly about this that CMS had strongly stated that they thought that any willing pharmacy should be able to participate. And they introduced H.R. 4577, which uh, the short title is Ensuring Seniors Access to Local Pharmacies Act. This really uh, internally and among our membership when we surveyed the, the preferred network issue and any willing pharmacy was our number one priority. Um, so as our number one priority, we worked very hard on this piece of legislation uh, we're very pleased at this juncture that uh, to date that bill has uh, 73 co-sponsors, including 12 members of the Pivotal Energy and Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction over, over the bill, as well as three full committee chairmen. We're continuing to do outreach to uh, members of Congress uh, to persuade them to co-sponsor the bill. So that's really where we are in 4577, top priority for NCPA. Uh, while there is not a Senate companion bill, we have been in direct discussions with a number of senators on, the bo on both sides of the aisle about uh, moving forward with a companion piece of legislation. And I will tell you, Ron, it, it's, it's not only to try to move the legislation on Capitol Hill, but uh, as importantly, because you know how things can move at a glacial pace on Capitol Hill, it's to really continue to stiffen the backbone of CMS. Uh, when CMS proposed that rule, they, they, in very certain terms, they made it clear that they supported uh, the, the notion of any willing pharmacy participating in, in Part D preferred networks. And we feel that 
the more support that we can continue to show on Capitol Hill, not only to keep the ball rolling down the field from a legislative standpoint, but also in terms of continuing to put pressure on CMS is, is a very good thing. Absolutely. And I think that uh, when that act, that when the rule actually hit, you know, it was kind of a downer. Um, but, you know, with uh, I guess the victory that's come out of that, this being one of them, along with the uh, MAC, uh, I guess, requirements for 2016, it really does give pharmacy something to look forward to. Yeah, well, we were disappointed about the final resolution of the rule and, and particularly the NA willing pharmacy piece. You know, there was a there were a couple of silver linings in that very dark cloud. And as you've touched on, uh, much to the chagrin of our our friends, uh, our PBM friends, uh, there was specific language in the CMS rule uh, which stipulates that uh, they feel that, uh, you know, MAC lists need to be need to be updated and, and, and pharmacists need to be notified every seven days. So while we didn't get everything we would have liked in the rule and, and weren't pleased with the way it was resolved. Uh, clearly, the the MAC component of that final rule uh, was very significant. And I think in many ways, perhaps it's been overlooked by people who have been watching these issues evolve. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's you never get everything you want all at once. I really wish that was uh, the way it works. But you got to hang in there and keep fighting, and I think that's what everybody's collective efforts here are about. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Steve, this is the eve of the NCPA convention. Um, I know I'm actually headed down there. I know you're headed down there as well. Uh, what should our listeners and participants expect from the convention uh, from sunny Austin, Texas? Well, it is going to be sunny, and I'm looking out the window in beautiful Washington, D.C. today where we all had to uh, – huddle in the garage because there was an imminent tornado warning. So it's going to be nice to get a little warmth and sunshine. Uh, I think that anybody who has been to an NCPA uh, convention knows what to expect. And those who haven't are going to be pleasantly surprised what they see. We have a, a, a diverse program, educational program workshops uh, uh, for CE credit. We have inspirational keynote speakers we have uh, fabulous networking opportunities, and it's really an opportunity for, uh, for the industry uh, to get together, to talk about common issues, common problems, solutions. It gives us a chance, obviously, to get everybody uh, ginned up on how important their voice is and how they really can make a difference in having their voice heard. And I think that for those who attend the convention are going to be leaving uh, knowing a little bit more about the state of play in the industry, picking up uh, ideas, suggestions, thoughts, how they can enhance and grow their businesses, and uh, bringing everybody together for the camaraderie of, uh, you know, the common good and, and moving forward as an industry organization. Excellent. Uh, I can't wait. It sounds like it's going to be a great program. Well, before we uh, get on to contact information and, and asking you about how our listeners can get a hold of you, I've got one last question. Okay. Any words of advice that you'd offer an aspiring pharmacist? You know, I would tell them that while there are a lot of wonderful opportunities to practice pharmacy, we continue to believe that independent community pharmacies 
really offer the type of patient-focused approach that will ensure that they're making a difference in the lives of patients. Um, if, if an individual or aspiring pharmacist wants to be an independent community pharmacy owner, NCPA certainly has a lot of supportive tools to take the guesswork out of the process uh, through programs such, our, such as our pharmacy student chapters that are really all across the country in, in major universities, our student business plan competitions, and, and lastly, our ownership workshop. We feel that as long as an individual is willing to work hard and be creative, uh, NCPA is there to, to make their experience in independent community a pharmacy a positive one, a productive one, and, and always hopefully a profitable one. Exactly. How do our listeners get in touch with you if they have further questions? Well, if they want to get in touch with me, uh, my email address, which is probably the best way to get a hold of me, because if I'm not in the office, I've got my trusty mobile device. Uh, my email address is steve.fister, and the last name is spelled P like Paul, F like Frank, I-S-T-E-R, steve.fister at ncpa. N-E-T, ncpanet.org. And uh, if they want to reach me by phone, they can call 703-683-8200. Excellent. Well, Steve, it was great having you on. Let me uh, close out the show here, and then we'll take care of some housekeeping off there. This is Ron Lanson, Government Affairs Strategist for the Pharmacy Podcast Show, which you're listening to and also president of True North Political Solutions. If any one of you listeners have any questions for me offline, uh, you can actually tweet me. Uh, we do have a new Twitter account at, at True North underscore PS, or you can follow us on LinkedIn, or you can give me an email at Ron Lanton, the number three, at True North PS, as in politicalsolutions.com. Steve, it was great talking to you today, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show in the near future to give us an update. Well, I would certainly welcome that, and thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing you at our convention. I hope that I uh, also look forward to seeing many, many of uh, your listeners to this program at the convention as well. Sounds great.